time is not linear. We just perceive it that way. Ah! Like the Terminator. It's cyclical, right? The machines see a Schwarzenegger back to kill Sarah Connor so that John Connor could never be born. But if John Connor don't see a Michael Bean back to protect her, then they never fuck if John Connor ain't born in the first place. Good evening and welcome, people, uh, to a very special edition of Dude and the Monkey. It's episode 130. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Mark Foster, and tonight and today we are joined by by the axis of awesomeness, the trio triumph, uh, the power of my dreams. We have Ian. Who do we have? Ian. Am I am I uh, saying other people? I don't know. We. Are, who else do we have? Other people. Dante Thunderstorm. <laughs> no, Mella. Who else do we have? Dante Thunderstorm. A Dante Thunderstorm? Yes. Which equals what? The Jordan McGrath. Everybody already it's knows that. We've got oh, the full of 35mm heroes uh, reunited for the first time. No, it's been a frequent guest, John. I think this is your first time on the show, isn't it? It's it is. technically, technically not. On the Noel Stag show, George was in one section. Ah, okay. Yeah, cool. we've we've put we've put aside the the petty squabbles and the infighting and the thing that you know we've not spoken for a long time, but mm. the money was right, and yeah. uh, we just decided that it was worth putting behind. All that nastiness and just, yeah, just I've, taking the money. I've, I've put behind no touch me in inappropriate places, so <laughs> that that's been been researched by the police. So <laughs> I thought might as well come on and just face my demons. That's it. Face Eight, head on. Eighteen. Just, do you know what, George? Though it just it makes me fancy you more. So. <laughs> <laughs> Eighteen fucking months. Just looking it up now, April 15th, 2014 was, the, um, was when the last 35mm Heroes was published. 
Right, uh, well, this on this episode, we are going to chat some trailers, and we're going to do a review of Sicario, do a little bit of what we've been watching, and answer some questions if we've got any. Uh, Ian, anything happened during the uh, the week in the wonderful world of film that we should discuss before we get into trailers? Um, oh, people were being a bit mingy about someone, and I can't remember who it was. I mean, people are mingy about someone all the time, but somebody said something in... Oh, no, well, Matt Damon, but that was a couple of weeks back, wasn't it? Like, he said something about um, Rupert Everett shouldn't have come out and he would have done better in film if he hadn't. And it's just like, well, yeah, he probably would have. Fair yeah. comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He probably, he, he, he probably would have. Um, certainly, yeah. Um, but he wouldn't have got his role in My Best Friend's Wedding. No. And, 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 and I don't think Madonna would have given as much of a shit about him, so... Um, I spent the past uh, t- like three days in a cabin with very limited Wi-Fi, so I haven't looked at anything at all. I don't think much has happened. I mean, it's LFF at the moment, so it's just the usual people crying about having to go to a screening at nine o'clock in the morning. Oh, the, the fucking yeah. humanity. That's the best time of day it to is. watch a film. I don't it know is, what the yeah. problem is. If I could get away with watching a film at 9 o'clock every single morning, I would, because that's the best time. And, and honestly, if, if cinemas opened by 9 o'clock, I would, that's the only time I yeah. would go to the cinema, would be 9 Absolutely. in the morning. Because Absolutely. I know that all the douchebags wouldn't be up at 9 o'clock in the morning. I tell you what, I'm already, like, fucking Spectre comes out two, two weeks' time tonight. It's coming out on a Monday. Yeah. And I know I'm going to go to the first show in eight o'clock on the Monday night. And I know it's going to be full of fucking idiots. And I'm already dreading it. Yeah, that is good. Well, I'm, I'm actually dreading mine because um, what, what, how it's happening is, is my local cinema, basically, we shut down in 2002. It's reopening on the 26th of October. Oh, yeah. um, well, the first weekend is actually pretty good because we've got quite a few retrospective screenings like Shining and Ghostbusters and Pulp Fiction and things like that, which would be quite cool. But the first screening is on official screening is on Monday, which is in, um, which is Spectre. Now, I really want to go see it on the Monday, but it's going to be packed and full of people who are like, "Yay, the cinemas are opening and blah blah blah." And I'm, uh, I think I'll have to wait until everybody has seen it before I go and see it. You see, I got eight thirty, nine o'clock, and ten o'clock on the Monday night. Uh, I might, I might go for the nine o'clock because it's gonna, like the people who just wanted to go to the first first showing are going to be done, and hopefully there won't be too much spillover. Yeah. Right. I, I have no idea what time I'm going to go. I'll just, I, I'll just select one and go. Okay, I'm going right. to need to see it the Monday before it gets spoiled. There's going to be some shit in there that's yeah. spoilable mm. and. I, I, I don't want it. I don't want it. Thing is, I'm having difficulties with because uh, I, I I'm really, 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 really looking forward to Crimson Peak, and the the the, the experience that I had at the cinema for Sicario wasn't a particular wasn't a particularly bad one, but it was just the general atmosphere of the room was that it's it's been i don't go to the cinema that often last time i went was fantastic four i think i don't get to the cinema very often these days because i generally don't like it but the atmosphere in sicario was very much that it's okay to speak to each other and it's okay to check your phones and it was just like everybody was doing it and it was fine and it's that attitude particularly with a film like sicario if this is a film like fantastic four where you know 
you know how much I like comic book movies, but let's face it, if you're fucking distracted, it doesn't matter too much. If it's Sicario, you want to ingest every single word. So I'm really worried about Crimson Peak, and because I thought it was coming out, well, because I thought there would be preview screenings on a Thursday, um, I thought, well, I'll book Thursday off. I can do some writing in the daytime and then catch an early screening in the afternoon. But there's, there doesn't appear to be preview screening, so I'm going to have to go and watch it on a Friday night, which is almost certainly going to cause problems. Mm. So it's a fucking nice. Especially where that film's been marketed. My only issue I had in, in Sicario was the I went this morning to watch it, um, and for once in the view they actually did you know the check where they walk up and down and shine the light to make sure no one's recording it. Yeah. yeah. The guy did it. And it wasn't only one of those massive screens. It was in one of the smaller kind of screens. So it was noticeable when he was walking down the, what is it? And he was quite a big guy as well. Did it at a very kind of poignant bit towards the end in the last yeah. sort of five minutes of the movie. I thought, fuck, right? If you do that and somebody is recording it, that, you know, you, you should have done it nearly two hours ago. You've just pissed me off in the final five minutes of the fucking movie. Can, can I say something? Um, also, Ian, you might be able to shed light on this because it is, uh, and, well, I don't know if, you, if you're an ex-employer. Um, View, do they do a delivery service? Delivery? What? Because I was in the middle of... What, well, was like it? a love film, So, basically, I was in the middle of Sicario, and an usher, or whatever they call nowadays, walks in with a tray full of hot dogs and delivers them to people. What the fuck? No, I mean not when I work there. No, halfway but... through. I mean halfway through the film, and I was like, "What's going on?" Like... Cinemas are so fucking desperate to make money at the moment. That's that madness. That is that is mass. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's that's, that's, that's worrying, is what that is. But who thinks like let's go to a cinema and let's think? Oh, I want a hot dog, but not one now. I want one halfway through a film. <laughs> I'm always wary of people approaching me with sausages in the dark. <laughs> Have you been duped by that one before? <laughs> yes, by, yes, by that's, Jordan. That's which is, by this, is, this is how this all started. Uh, all right, cool. Um, okay, uh, I'll throw it open. Uh, trailers, what has everyone seen this, this past week? Hail Seas, that's all I've seen. That's all I've seen as well, actually. I've seen a few, but let's talk about Hail Caesar. Yeah. Um, Looks good. It looks, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, look, it looks like one of their zany capers, uh, which is always good. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping George Clooney literally just gives reaction shots and sounds confused for the entire thing. <laughs> yeah. well, he, he, I would say he, he will because that's it's kind of his his go to Cohen thing, that isn't it? Mm. Thing is, I like I like that style of George Clooney. I like that old yeah. brother wear out there, George Clooney. So I, I'm, I can get on board with that. If I'm honest, I think. I don't think I get quite as excited about Coen Brothers movies as a lot of people do. I find them to be a little bit hit and miss. So, you know, obviously I love No Country for Old Men, but then after that, Burn After Reading didn't do much for me. A Serious yeah. Man I really didn't like. Uh, and then they, you've got Inside Llewellyn Davis from a couple of years back, which I thought was fucking amazing. So I just... They, they can be quite hit and miss for me, so I don't automatically get excited. But this... The tone of this, I'm kind of in the mood for this type of Coen Brothers movie, and it, and obviously you can't argue with that cast, can you? So no, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a heck of a cast, and it, it does. It looks like it's going to be one of those sort of like blustering ones they do, where everything 
it just everything just goes a little bit fucking crazy, and you go, you're watching it going, how did they think of this? How, what's the process of sitting down and writing this? Yeah, but but it's like I mean, I remember again, no mention of death. The but the trailer for Burn After Eden was fantastic, and that film just fell flat. Uh, but this one. Like, just just the names that, that, that they can actually gather nowadays, even in supporting roles, it's just it's it's like sort of great star after great star after great star, and hopefully it, it, the tone seems fine, and tone seems very Coheny, and I, I I'm just in, and just Josh Brolin doing a little jig running away from someone is brilliant. It has me every single oh, time. The, the bit at the end with like the reporter, he's like, yeah. yep, <laughs> just just starts running. Yeah, that was pretty <laughs> solid. We're getting to that stage with Josh Brolin as well, though, where he's just, he's, I mean, he, he was kind of there already, but at this point, and I suppose we'll get onto this in a bit, I'll fucking watch anything with Josh Brolin in at this yeah. point. I, I'm really enjoying him. Yeah, he seems to be one of those weird actors who seems to go through kind of little bursts where you won't notice that he's been in anything for a good couple of years. And then all of a sudden, he'll do fucking loads, like two. You mean, you mean the entire 90s? Yeah, right. Well, yeah. <laughs> But you say he hasn't done anything really since, you know, properly since what he did. He kind of seemed to go off the boil after sort of um, after No Country, where he did a lot of not great stuff really, um, and then he's come back kind of in the past sort of year yeah. or so with. Um, Inherent, Inherent Vice was the big uh, one for me. I mean, that was fucking. But um, he's magnificent in that. He's so. He absolutely steals the show in that movie. Oh yeah, and it's it's you know what that's a that's a difficult job as well because everybody's so good in that yeah. film. But I actually watched, funnily enough, ten ten or fifteen minutes of we're talking about his his fallow spell. Yeah. I watched about ten or fifteen minutes of Men in Black Three the other day, and when it came on, initially I was like, "Oh shit, he did this. Why did he do this? This is terrible." Just looking at that as well, his spell of films after Men in Black 3, his Men in Black 3, Gangster Squad, Labor Day, Old Boy, <laughs> Uncredited in Guardians, and then Sin City a Day for a Kill. I mean, that is a few bad films back to back. Well, did steady just, on now, steady on, steady Sin on. Sin City a Dame for a Kill? Yeah, a Dame for a Dame to Kill for. Yeah, okay, <laughs> sorry, no. I was just going to say, steady on. I think we all remember my feelings about Gangster Squad, and I stand by that, so let's let's not get into any older <laughs> A fucking great movie. And I actually I, I actually didn't despise the old boy remake just for how fucking terrible it was. That thing, yeah, that thing's something else. That thing's watchable as fuck. fuck how many times George have you watched... What, what's, how, that, what's that? How many times have you watched the old boy remake, Mark? Me, three. Fucking of course you have. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's like we were saying the other day, though. It's like, fucking hell, Mark. Even Spike Lee hasn't watched that film three times. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, if there's a bad movie out there that needs watching more than once, you'd be fucking sure yeah. I'm going to do it. <laughs> right. uh, Ian, what else have you caught then, if you, if, if you guys only caught Hail Caesar? Um, yeah, I did a trailer for Triple Nine, the new John Hill coat one. Oh, sorry, I did watch that, sorry, yeah. Um, yeah, it looks, uh, looks pretty intense. Um, I can... It could go either way at this point, to be honest. I don't think it particularly gives an indication about whether it's going to be a good or a bad film, but it's John Hillcoat, so I'll trust it. Yeah, that's 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 where I am. I was the weird thing is I hadn't sort of had a look or I'd heard very little, well, nothing to be honest about Triple Nine. And I was talking to uh, Beck in the day, and weirdly enough, said, you know, it's been far too long since we had a John Hillcoat movie. 
And then all of a sudden, like two days later, there's <laughs> so a red band trailer for a new John Hillcourt movie comes out. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, I'm interested. Let's say the trailer gives not a lot away other than the fact that it looks like it's going to be pretty bleak and pretty intense. But he's a director that I absolutely trust. So very much. It, it looked it looked very the towny to me. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, unfortunately, I mean, I like the road. Um, I like the composition. I wasn't that keen on Lawless, but this looks a bit more, um, but entertaining, a bit more in, into my field a bit. Yeah, Lawless, I think, I think suffered from, well, suffered from two things, the Shia LaBeouf factor and the fact that it, it, it never seemed to be serious enough, Lawless, for me. It never seemed to get great enough. It was a little bit too clean, for, I thought, personally. It was a bit too cardigan-y for me. Yeah, it was incredibly cardigan-y. Your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Um, could, I, could I actually just bring one more trailer? Sorry, cause, because I was in the cinema. I actually went to see three films in one day at the cinema, and I saw this trailer three times. What was it? Now, um, it was Brooklyn. Oh. The new oh, Saoirse Ronan. Saoirse Ronan one, yeah. Now, it, the trailer looked horrendous. Looks so boring. But the reviews that have came out Jesus, from even the LFF poster have been boring. really, really good. Yeah, I've heard good things about this as well. And, like, the, the trailer looks just the worst. The, post, the poster looks to, I didn't know what this was, but the poster looks really boring. And read this synopsis. In 1950s Ireland and New York, are you still awake? Yeah. Young, yeah. young Ellis Lacey, <laughs> young Ellis Lacey has to choose between two men and two countries. It, it, it honestly, the trailer makes it look a little bit like it's a Nicholas O'Leary Sparks movie. Yeah, it, it does. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> But like I can't believe the reviews have been coming out have been really solid and the trailer just looked like a bore. It, it, it does. It looks like a. It looks. It, uh, somebody. Somebody is going to have to really, really fucking sell that movie to me for me to ever watch it because it, it it looks like it could be about eight days long as well just based on the yeah. trailer. I was, I was sort of looking going, oh, I could go to the toilet. I don't need it, but I could go. Well, I thought I'd just sold it to you, Mark, but it seems like somebody doesn't want to be entertained, so fair enough, please yourself. <laughs> yeah, it could be one of those bad, bad trailer, good, good movies. But uh, Hopefully. I, ap- I apologise if in 1950s Ireland and New York, the plight of young Ellis Lacey having to choose between two men and two countries isn't enough for some people to be satisfied. It, I, can't, I can't help you. It, Day one Blu-ray, no? That's all there. <laughs> It's directed by um, John, Crow- John Crowley, so yeah, who did um, uh, 2008's Is Anybody There? Cool. Can you tell I've got... Can, tell, <laughs> can you tell I've got... Yeah, that's there. Look, have you seen John Crowley? He looks, he looks dull. Yeah, his shirt's a bit dull. Oh, I'm going to stop trolling IMDb now and concentrate. Um... I also watched the trailer for the good, the new trailer for the Good Dinosaur, where the dinosaurs talk, and you start thinking, "Oh no!" But um, we'll we'll see. Um, the first trailer for that flick is fucking amazing, and it comes out in the US in like a month, so we'll know soon enough for that one. Um, and uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, anybody? Oh, I saw a bit of that. Yeah. It kind of looked exactly like a void look. So yeah, I, that I mean. The thing is, is Seth Graham Smith, and he did, um, he, well, he wrote Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, which I was very, very negative towards 
when we talked about trailers on Heroes, and I ended up quite liking that. So uh, I love the fact that on Trailer Addict, the trailer site I use, it says, Director Burr Steers, Writer Jane Austen. <laughs> Seriously, does she get a screenplay credit for I this? think she might. <laughs> I actually know. Do you know what? I'm going to have to look that up. I'm on looking it up now. now yeah. Fucking hell. But um, no, yeah, I mean, it, it looks yep, exactly she does, yeah. Ama- amazing. Writers, Burstairs, Jane Austen, and Seth Graham Smith. Fantastic. I mean, it just it looks exactly what you think it's going to be. I, if you know, if the reviews turn out to be good, it's like it's like that Victor Frankenstein film. It's like if people actually say it's good, I'll be interested. Yeah. Otherwise, on no, Netflix. Yeah, it, yeah, it is one of those, isn't it? Mm. Absolutely. It's 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 a, it's a Thursday night Netflix watch written all over it. Pretty much, man. Anything else? No, I'm, I'm good, unless anybody else has got anything. Um, no, I, I am looking forward to, after this podcast, sitting down and watching the trailer for Daredevil Season 2, which apparently just popped up. So. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, I, I watched... the, the, Jessica Jones ones is, the Jessica Jones one is up as well, but the thing is with that is it's like it feels like it's not very far off, and I'm currently reading the comic, so I'm just a bit like, you know what? I'll read the comic, and I'll wait until it's on, and then I'll just watch it. But yeah, I'm definitely going to watch the... Uh, Dead of a one layer. Mm. Nice. Um, if I said a name to you, just to uh. recognise it, right? Because hmm? it, 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 it's featured in a trailer in the most obnoxious way. Tara Subkoff. Jump no. out. Is no. she a is she a Bond girl? Nope. Right from the eighties. She a visionary filmmaker. Well, you, Tara you fucking think. What's the fil- trailer for a film called called? And I'm not joking. It's called horror, but it's got a hashtag in front of it, so it's hashtag horror. And I'm not quite sure whether or not it's just called horror and it's got a hashtag in there stylistically, or if it's actually called hashtag horror. I'm not really sure at the moment. It's called hashtag horror. Is it called hashtag horror? That is yes. fucking retarded. Um, From visionary director Tara Sundoff. It's the trailer's going, and then all of a sudden, in big bold, letter, big bold writing, it says the debut film from. Tara Subkoff. It's like, I, I thought, I thought, I thought this person. What, is she like a YouTube person say? or something? No, she, she, she appears to have been a bit part actress of the highest order for around the past 20 years and also credits herself as a producer because she produced the movie that she's directing and was an associate producer on another movie. But She also, she also has a clothing line, apparently, called yeah, Imitation she, of she clearly is. Oh, by the way, here are some of here are you know when you go to IMDb and it gives you like their top five credits. Yeah. Uh, we have the movie As Good as It Gets, The Cell, a film called All Over Me, and Teenage Caveman. Nice. And, and so what? She's a, she was actually in that much actually. So she's a costume designer or something? Is no, she's she's she just she's just she. No. She's she's just she's clearly she's Tara Sobkoff. She, she's clearly somebody who has a very high opinion of herself, but her dad's probably some kind of. I was I was just gonna <laughs> I was just gonna say that maybe she's been into the executive's office to to give someone a subcoff. Yes. <laughs> but do, do, do you know how much she thinks of herself? She actually has two writer credits on IMDb. Oh, she does. Yeah. She does. <laughs> She's also got a production designing credit on, on IMDb, and guess what? It's for her own movie. <laughs> Joking aside, though, uh, 
this film does star Chloe Sevigny, Natasha Leon, and Taryn Manning, who are all actresses I do like. Yeah. So yeah, it, I'll it, probably it, watch it. It, it is, and, and it's it's got some nice sort of stylistic looks to it and everything like that. But it, it it's going to be dull as balls. I know. I predict this is going to be our film of the year. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? It <laughs> fucking surprise me. She'll go on to be a massive fucking director. <laughs> And then we'll go, Sembra debut film? Yeah, do you remember that cunt slagged it off? Right, that was trailers then. Uh, we shall get into, I'm going to say it, we don't do trailers for the films we're about to do uh, anymore. Um, so, Sicario, um, directed by Dennis Villeneuve, uh, written by Taylor Sheridan. Uh, who, who's Taylor Sheridan now? Um, Taylor Sheridan is the actor and writer known for Sicario, Sons of Anarchy, and White Rush. He is in. Oh, it's him. It's, yes, oh, it is. I did it's not know Hale. that. I know. Oh, fucking hell, no way. Because I, I just thought, why do I know that name? And checked it out. So yes, um, no way. Stars Emily Blunt, Benicio del Toro, and Josh Brolin. Uh, the story starts where you have uh, Emily Blunt's Kate Mesa. Uh, is the um, head of a FBI special weapons and tactics team who, when they're doing a raid, come across a house full of corpses in the walls. Uh, she is then assigned to or is coerced into volunteering for a special task force, uh, working in conjunction with Josh Brolin, who she doesn't quite know who he works for, and Benicio Del Toro taking down the cartels in Juarez, Mexico. And uh, we shall start, oh, and also as well, it is um, cinematographed by uh, Roger Deakins. Uh, we'll start with our new guest, uh, Jordan. What did you think of Sicario? Right, um, okay, I I loved it. I really did. I thought it was tremendous. Now, Dennis Villeneuve is, at the moment, he's four for four for me. He's He sort of came out of nowhere. Mm. And, I mean, Prisoners... Um, again, it was a very adult drama. It, it took, it went to dark places and it did things that you wouldn't expect a film with those, that cast in it to do. And I think Sicario's very much like that. Like, you don't really expect Emily, Emily Blood to go into the places where she goes in this. And I thought it was very tight. I like how the scope of the film was rather small in the actual, what actually goes on. Mm. All three main plays are, are tremendous. And the other actor, I can't remember, her partner was pretty good as well, so I forgot his name, unfortunately. Is it Daniel Kaluuya. Um, he was decent. And, yeah, I mean, it looked fantastic. Um, I liked the way that it was kind of um, a sort of a modernised version of Science of the Lambs, given the fact with the, the, the feminist version of a, a, a woman in a very much a male world. Um, and how he took that on. But, yeah, I loved it. Initial thoughts, everything. It just ticked boxes. To be honest, one of my favourite films of the year, although I haven't really seen that many films this year. Cool. Uh, Noel, uh, what were your thoughts on Sicario? Um, I really liked it too. Um, I I do like a sort of... Um... I do like a sort of drug thriller. Uh, I'm keen on that type of thing. I like stuff that's sort of about Mexican drug, you know getting stuff across the border and stuff like that. I do tend to like that type of thing. So when the film started out and it seemed to be that type of movie, um, I was like, oh, great, because I actually knew nothing about the film going in, um, and I, that was intentional. I just wanted to see what happened and just let it fall out. I, I literally knew nothing about it. Um, 
despite the fact that it had uh, one of the most boring taglines in the world. Did you see the tagline? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's like, it just says Sicario means this in Mexican. And I was like, really? Okay. Um, but yeah, so I was kind of expecting it to be one film. Um, and it kind of was, it didn't unfold that way. It was, it was, it was different. It didn't really focus on, you know, on the, it didn't really focus on the product. It didn't really focus on what the crimes were. It was more focused on the fact that there's, that this woman is pulled into this situation under false pretenses and doesn't really know what's going on. And, and, and I think the thing that I liked about it the most was that it, you felt like you were being pulled along with it and you didn't know what was going on. Mm. So I think that for me was the thing that worked the most. I didn't even think, I didn't even consider the Silence of the Lambs comparison, but I guess that's, that's, yeah, that, that, that definitely works. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a really strong film and I, I, I just loved getting pulled along with it. So yeah. Brilliant. Very cool. Uh, Ian, what were your thoughts on Sicario? Yeah, big fan as well, actually. That might be a really boring review. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I I haven't seen Ensemble or Polytechnic, so um, I can't speak to those two, but it's certainly my favourite out of um, This Enemy and uh, Prisoners. Um, it's... I, I haven't been as nervous in a cinema for a, for a while, and even, like, the first scene, basically, the, you know, you know something's going to happen and what's going to happen and when is it going to happen and when it does, ah, fuck! You know, so it, it that's, you know, big fan. Um, yeah, I mean, Emily Blunt's great. Benicio Del Toro. I I think him and Josh Brolin are really interesting because they're basically playing the, the, the guys who are in the shit, but they're kind of coping with it in two different ways. Like, Brolin's almost making light of it throughout. And it's only really at the end where he gets serious. Whereas Del Toro, he's just very, very business, business, business. And I kind of almost wish we didn't know why he was doing all this stuff. Mm. Um, But I I don't think that that's the fault of the film. But... I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm, it's not gonna detract from it for me, but it does. You know, when it when it is revealed, you know, they chops his wife's head off and chucks his daughter in a vat of acid. It's just like, right, okay, well, yeah, okay, he's gonna do whatever the fuck he's gonna do, and fair play to him because who who wouldn't basically? Um, whereas I think having more mystery about him would maybe was preferred but it, it's a small complaint but there's not going to be many complaints from me um I, the, the cinematography is su- you know superb like i like the the kind of the scorched earth nature of um of, of mexico the way it, it like everything's slightly whited out but but not so much that you can't tell what's going on it's just like it's almost like you've just taken sunglasses off and you're kind of appearing out in the in the sun um and the score as well actually um by johan johansson or something yeah yeah he did the score for the theory of everything which i don't remember at all um (laughs) but but and it was that was the only thing that his name kind of reminded me from but this like it's kind of the the kind of the murmuring it's kind of almost more sound design it's like it is and and you know what i was just brilliantly I was just going to say, like, you mentioned that I don't remember the score from The Theory of Everything either, and a score like this, I typically 
don't usually get on with quite as much. So I'm thinking of maybe like um, there will be blood and stuff like that, where it's 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 more about sound design and noise mm. and impressive sounds and stuff like that. I don't always get on with that type of thing. But the score for this was just ringing in my ears afterwards, and I fucking loved it. It really, really ramps things up. And, um, I mean, the sound was one of the biggest things for me, and I, I, that was one reason that I, that I was glad that I saw this in the cinema for for, for a change. But um, the sound and also, I don't remember seeing, you know, I'm sure we've all seen plenty of different things with, like, stuff going on along the Mexican border and stuff like that. I've never seen Mexico and the border shot like that before. There was so many beautiful, big, uh, you know, high shots and stuff. Yeah. Or, or, you know, the se- the sequence in, in the, that I can't get out of my head is the one where you just sort of, I think it's where they've taken the Learjet um, over to, I forget the mm. name of the place, um, but you sort of, you're following the, the shadow of the Learjet as it's sort of, it's creeping yeah. over all that. That was just fucking beautiful. I could have watched that for hours. It was, yeah, there was, was loads of stuff like that. And you couple that with this really imposing, like threatening sound that's noise, but sort of working itself into a score at the same time. And it just, it makes you feel like they're just, they're going into the mountain, they're going into the mouth of absolute, you know, danger and death. And it, worked so well that stuff yeah i really loved the sequence um when you're just following the five black um range rovers and you see them sort of pulling go through the border and come back yeah. out and you're following them. just wonderful stuff and there's a little thing again there's little things with little shots of again where you're following the five cars through the main city and stuff and you, you're just waiting for something to happen and there's the odd shot of like um you know, there's the odd shot that's from the point of view of a, the top of a building that sort of looks like a sniper because of the way that the camera pulls and stuff like that. Um, and then they lead you into and they show you a little bit of of what these guys are up to. And then there's that guy with the sort of sunglasses who was in the front for that sequence. Hi. Who was he? He was fucking brilliant. I loved him. I could have done I'm with not, more I've of seen, him. I've seen his face before. I've seen him in something. I can't remember what he's... Um... I've seen from, but yeah, but he's he's fantastic. Because he he was making me feel very nervous. And I then know where he's from. He's from when... Burn Notice. Oh, no, oh yeah. that to me. <laughs> but he was making me feel very nervous. And then when you started to see him start to get a bit twitchy, and he lost his cool a little bit, he, he you know picked up his gun, and you could see he was tapping a little bit. You're just like fuck. Well, that, a minute ago that guy was sort of casually sort of trying to scare the shit out of. Uh, out of Emily Blunt, and now he's twitchy. So, yeah, just loads of little bits like that that just sort of ramp it up bit by bit. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, what I've, I mean, um, John referenced it earlier. What I thought was fantastic about uh, Scario is the actual thrust of the actual main story that it's giving you. Not a lot actually really kind of happens. There's no, there's no big kind of massive sort of conspiracies within it or, um, you know, hidden um people sort of stepping over each or anything like that it, it very much it's it gets from point a to point b to point c to point d and it just goes through that and it takes you along there and it's it, it's kind of almost what uh billy new did uh, with prisoners uh, where it it's quite a it's quite a slow build but then it because there's so much tension so much atmosphere there that you kind of get towards the end and you go Holy shit! This has been on for like nearly two hours, mm. but you, you don't not necessarily feel like nothing like nothing's happened. But you look back at it and you go, 
God, you know, there's a lot gone on, but it's just, he's got a real wonderful sort of control of tension and pace. And, uh, you know, when you couple that with, with how stunning this movie looks in terms of the, you know, not only the cinematography, but the lighting of it is incredible. Um, and like notice about the, you know, the, the, the sound design and the score is, is used quite sparsely. It's not, there are sort of long sequences where there is literally there's no score. It, it, there's there's few sort of background noise. It, it's literally just the noises that you would normally hear, and then it'll it'll bring a bit of score into it, and it it, it kind of it helps build that rather than having this overbearing um, soundtrack running running throughout. Um, and all that coupled with the fact that you've got these three really fantastic central performances that work out really well um, for it. You've got anyone looks fantastic as essentially they've gone right she doesn't know military because she isn't for military she's very competent at a job so she's not going to die but we can literally quite literally take her on for the fucking ride and that's what happens it's it's a it's it, it, it's it's so tense at points it, it's really a special film well yeah i mean what, what i think's interesting is how it contrasts like how earth-shattering this whole thing is for Emily Blunt with how blasé, like, people like Josh Brolin yes. um, um, like, uh, seem to deal with it. You know, I, it, it, that's the thing. I mean, it, it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, Emily Blunt's role could almost be played by a man if it weren't for a couple of scenes. But I think maybe the kind of the the, the inherent vulnerability with with it, with it being a woman in this situation, just because of how it's such a man's world, it just kind of add, adds to the empathy there. I mean, it would have been. I mean, I'm assuming if it was a bloke, he wouldn't have had the kind of the seduction bit. Um, you know, even though that that would have been interesting. Who would you cast as a female John Bernthal? <laughs> Ronda Rousey. Yeah, run around. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, that, yeah, okay. That was good. Didn't take much asking at all, fair play. Um, but, <laughs> but if, if you want a hot chip that can kick someone's ass, I've got a fucking list. Carano. So, yeah, actually, actually, I've got one as well. She's Mexican. Michelle Rodriguez. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, um, yeah, that, that's the thing. So I mean, as impressed as it as press. As impressive it is as it is technically, you know, the, the, the kind of the structure of the story and the, what's going on with the, the the characters is also pretty fantastic. Like I like the way that Emily Blunt earlier on with Daniel Kalua, um, he's kind of asking her to kind of catch him up, and it's almost as if she's kind of dismissing him and just going, "Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you later, you know, whatever, you, you know, just shut up for a second. And then by the end of the film, she's pretty much taking on that role as well. It's like the way she's been invited into the boys' club, or at least she thinks she has. And then by the end of it, she's very, very, very much out of it. Mm. Um, I, it's it's kind of fascinating. I mean, again, if you were to poke holes in it, I mean, maybe the her pointing the gun at Benicio del Toro at the end was maybe a step too far. It's just all right, not only does she sign the piece of paper, but she goes to shoot him, and then she just can't. It. it, it yeah. So for me, that was I, I, I would have rather had that be the final scene than it take the extra scene where oh, you see because that just that that was a nothing scene to end the film on. Well, so no, if you end, I mean, it was just the life carries on. 
Well, exactly, but it's it just. I know. I'm 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 thoroughly with Jordan on that. It should have finished. It should have finished at that point. Because it's the thing is for me, it, it was Bourne's, It's Bourne's story. It should end with her just not knowing what the hell she's just done yeah. and just finished. Bang, credits. But yeah, because he, he essentially basically says to her, you know, you're not, no, you're not, you aren't built for this this world that you've put yourself yeah. into. And then it's almost like she takes that as a, oh, do you not really think I'm, and dares herself to do it, and then realizes that actually. He's fucking right. She's 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 not built to go that step beyond where she where she was, mm. uh, and maybe the fact that she's seen what's beyond where she was, that she can't go back to where she was. She's got to go back further and further and further. Um, and it's almost like some kind of fucking weird sort of PTSD thing that she's kind of developed. Where that's it. Uh, the whole the whole system makes no sense to her anymore um, because she realizes that to get shit done she's got to go completely against these set of rules that she's kind of built her entire life around. I was but just I, thinking I, I, it. Sorry, oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, I was just thinking it might be interesting on on a rewatch for for quite a, a few scenes actually in particular just because I think one of the strongest things about the film is that you know you've got a you've got a woman in this central role, but it doesn't pander to the idea of it being a strong female role. Yeah. You know, she ends up in, she doesn't know what's going on. She gets used by this situation. At one point, she seriously fucks up because she gets drunk and tries to have sex with somebody. And, you know, it's not because she's weak. It's not because she isn't good at her job. It's because she's being used by the system. So, it, and it doesn't, it doesn't shy away from that. It doesn't pander to that. Um, and I think that's one of its strengths. However, I think it would be interesting to rewatch it, particularly, I'm thinking, for, for the early scene where you've got sort of, you know, after the, the initial um, after the initial blow, explosion, things happened and she they're waiting to, to go through and Josh Brolin's talking with her sort of higher-ups and stuff like that. The way Josh Brolin plays that at that time, he's sort of, you know, he's tapping his feet away and he's smiling and he's leaning back in his chair and he's like, oh yeah, bring her in. She seems like she'd be great for the, you know, let's do this and let's do that. And he's very casual and very, and while you're watching that, you're thinking, well, he just wants to get, he just, he recognizes talent and just that's the way he is. He's just very sort of blase and sort of casual. Whereas in hindsight, we know that he's particularly, he's, he's looking at her and going, we are going to use this person and we are going to get done what we need to get done and fuck what she needs. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see that scene again and just look at it not as him being just the way he is, but actually being a bit of a cock, yeah, being a bit of a dick for doing this, you know. So he's he's definitely a person who he's not got a plan. He's got an, he's got an overarching of, of what he wants to achieve, but he doesn't know how he's going to achieve it, and he, he reacts to things within it because there's the the moment where he he says, "Don't go at the bank." Yeah, yeah. yeah. He could quite easily have then got out of the van, stopped her and gone, don't go in the bank because of this. Mm. But yeah. it's like, go in the bank. And he says to her, I, I told you not to go in the bank. Oh, she went in the bank. Yeah. And as soon as she goes in and it comes, you know, he's not going to try and hide why that. He shows you it straight away and you go, ah, camera's not very smart. That one's for you. Ah. And it's, it, it, there's all that. And it's not some grand fucking master plan Brolin's got. It's just, Huh, how could we use that? Oh, well, you know, what we'll do is we'll keep an eye on her because it's probable they're going to try and put out a hit on her. Mm. And it's, it's, it's a really cleverly written script, to be honest. There's, there's, it, it, it 
plays with itself really, really well. But it, it looks like it's um, what I quite like about it, especially with that said, It shows the the downsides of normal bureaucracy with dealing with crime or dealing with organised crime because. Mm. You know what I mean? She followed procedure and she was trying to find a way to, to arrest this, what was his name? Raul Diaz or something like that. Uh, now, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's what she was doing. So she was doing the right thing, but he understands that it, 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 it's a different game. Yeah. It, there's no rules there and his nonchalance to that um, lack of bureaucracy is just wonderful to watch and just see him play. But I also love the fact that I mean, you're taking in, like, the Americans, like, love of, like, their war on drugs. And the fact that this film is basically um, an admission that they can't actually, they can't fight it. And all they can do is try and put it into a bearable place. Well, I like that they actually say that at one point to her as well, where they're basically, where she says, you know, that the bit you're referring to where she says, where she's trying, she decides that, you know, we can bring this guy in on this. And they basically go, look, if you want to, like... If, if you want to piss around like chasing people around that's not really going to do anything that that's up to you but we we don't do that and it's out of our hands these decisions this the, these decisions are being made not by people who uh you know interview for jobs but people who are, who are voted into their roles i yeah. forget the way he puts it and he basically says this is out of our hands there are bigger things going on and this is how it gets done um and that's just that's just really good that's a really interesting idea and the fact that they're like you say they're not um, they're not fighting a drug war. They're figuring out a way to manage a drug. They're yeah. figuring out a, a way to manage it and work with the people who are involved in it. Yeah, the, the drug war was was lost. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it, you get there's, there's a couple of moments where it's actually where that kind of idea um, is is explored. You know, there's a moment where when she tries to you know take it in, he says the her her actual boss says you know our you know, arrest and success rates have gone up twice in the past two years, and has it made a difference? No. Mm. And then you've got um, Josh Brolin puts that to him and says, you know, we, he says the same thing. You know, we're not, we're not winning this. And the drug war, they have failed. They have. It's being lost. I think he should put it up and says, you know, until twenty percent of Americans decide to not smoke or snort yeah. their way um, through this problem then, you know, that's when we're in the drug war. But, I mean, those statistics, are in, I mean, when you think about it, are, in, are insane, the fact that that's one in five Americans is a uh, somewhat regular drug user. Um, of course they haven't won. It's, 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 it's about control. It's why it's, the American government haven't, have never admitted it, but they make no real massive secret that they have worked with cartels to overthrow other cartels beforehand. And I like that idea too. I think it's something that um, Mark, you'll probably recognise a little bit from Kurt Sutter's stuff. The idea that there's, yeah. a, there's, there's a greater good, and sometimes, you know, a little bit with Sons of Anarchy, but more so, I'm thinking with the Shield, where it's yeah. just, you know, it's it's about how, yeah, you might not like the way we do things, but if we want the really bad people to get put away, and we want to deal, you know, then we have to work with the the bad guys, and we have to work with the system, and there is a greater good that needs to be achieved and it can only be achieved by doing the things that um traditionally we as the good guys shouldn't be doing well yeah i mean yeah. It, it's clever the fact that they keep on referencing uh Medellin, uh within it which is you know an obvious reference to the fact that the cia um helped um one of the uh Medellin, um cartels uh, take down escobar 
you know, that's that's a well-known fact that, that that that's what happened. That they the CIA essentially used all of their um, sort of surveillance powers and everything like that to help um, a cartel illegally assassinate <laughs> one of their competition. And that is used within this within this movie as as kind of a plot device, which is a very a very clever a very clever plot device. Um, and you know that will probably get explored more in the the, the possible sequel. Possible uh, sequel? Yeah, yeah sequel. Yeah. Really? Yeah, Del Toro's yeah. Um, following Del Toro. Wow. Yeah, further yeah. down the rabbit hole. That'd be interesting. I'd yeah. watch that. To be, to be honest, I'd rather have a sequel that look that um, focuses on Blunt and her reaction to everything that's happened. You could end up very much with, and I know maybe I'm just saying this because of the comparison that you made before, but you could end up very much with a uh, a Starling uh, Lecter kind of relationship between them two. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's kind of a good thing. Like I think I'd really like to see that actually. Well, yeah. It, well, it, 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 Sorry, but, but for me, the, sorry, 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 no. But for me, the difference between the two characters there is the fact that, I mean, one, it, it's sort of, it's actually, it's, it's a reverse of the characters because in Society of Lambs, Starling is picked basically, kind of. I know, yes, she's she's a decent detective, but um, because she, they they want um, Lecter to look at a female and give him information. They want to sort of titillate him. But what they find out is that she is a great agent, where this is, she's sort of picked for a competency and she crumbles in in um, the effect of what, what actually happens well, to I, her. I love, the, I love the, the, the reasoning for them picking her. It's so fucking, like, weirdly boring. That yeah. it's just, like, it, it was literally because they have to have... A mem- like a member of the FBI with them when they actually do this particular thing in this particular place yeah. because yeah. the CIA can't without yeah like that wonderful the way built they, that. yeah the way that they tell her as well and and she like already and she kind of like narrates along with it because she knows where it's yeah. going yeah yeah it's, yeah I mean the, the kind of the shoe dropping I mean it's 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 really depressing it but, is. It, 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 yeah. it, it's a massive fuck you to itself. Yeah. It, it, it's almost like you, you've been going, so why are they brought along? Where's her big moment? Where's her big moment? And then it literally it is, oh no, <laughs> she's, yeah, she's she's there as a box ticking exercise. It's like me telling people at work, I, we recommend you seek financial advice before you do this. It's basically something you have to do so that you don't get caught out in like people checking on your paperwork. Yeah. Yeah. That's literally it. That is why Sicario happens. It is, and it's it, it's wonderful that, that a film has got has got the balls to kind of a film like that has got the balls to do that as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can I, oh. Sorry, I was just going to say can, can, we've we've praised it highly. Can I introduce a couple of just two things that bothered me about the it? Boy and his dad. Uh, about what? The whole the cop. The whole cop and his kid and the. Yeah. Wasn't needed. Oh, yeah. uh, there, was, there, was, there was too much, but uh, it didn't bother me that much. Did I didn't bother me. What there was one particular one, and it's a, it's maybe a minor thing, but um, the situation that happens between John Bernthal and Emily Blunt, I don't understand why her partner needed to, to know him and introduce. That seemed really 
that seemed really strange to me. Like, it was just like, oh, yeah, this is Ted. Uh, he's a friend of mine. Come and talk to him. And, oh, yeah, he's the guy who's going to put... He's, he's the guy who's been paid to, to hit on you. Well... Yeah, it's just... It, it seemed strange. It, it's a heck of a coincidence that he... Yeah. First. Yeah, I, I, I thought... I, it didn't didn't it didn't need that bit. I thought it just I thought it just kind of showed how insidious the whole kind of um <laughs> It's yeah. just in that bar on that night that he was very, very matey with him and he seemed to know him quite well and was happy to introduce him to her and but, yeah, but he, he it just seemed know, to he? It just well maybe no he didn't, but it just it seemed to it seemed very convenient that he was there and very convenient that they'd been talking about the fact that she needed to get laid. And then very convenient that they had a night off and she needed a drink and they happened to be nearby and they went to this. But it just it felt a little bit. To be honest, I, I agree with that because they they no, went that, like they, that. they went to that bar completely by chance. Yeah, okay. She just went. I need a drink. Yeah. And he said, "Where do you want to go?" And she went wherever. And they just went to this bar and then that all unfolded. And it's it's. Oh, and he was already own... there as well, wasn't he? Yeah, 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 he was already there and he was yeah, chatting okay. up to yeah, women yeah, and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's you know it's. Well. It's it's a small thing, and and they could have gotten around it by just not having him not know. You know, she could have just got chatting to him at the bar, and it, that that would have been easy. You know, there was no reason to make him a friend and such a apparently buddyish drinking kind of buddy uh, as he was. It just seemed a bit odd. But to be honest, was he there to make the hit? Because I'm trying to remember the scene now. Because when she goes to grab her gun, he's like, "What are you doing?" And he's like trying to calm her down. Yeah, but he'd roofied her. Yeah, did he roof her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she, she got all do- she got all dizzy, didn't she? And she started to. Do you remember there was like a flash as she started to go a bit woozy, and then she was like, "Oh fuck!" It, that was the point where she realised that. I think that's how I remember it. Anyway, am I right? No, like she <laughs> seemed to be pretty into it because it wasn't yeah. like afterwards she was like, "Oh no, no, no!" I tried to fuck my. She hair. saw the thing on the. Yeah, yeah she, she saw, saw the wristband. wristband. Yeah. The wristband. I, I, I think it's it's mad ambiguous, but he definitely he was definitely um, there to try and kill her because it, it comes out in the scene where he's been interrogated. Yeah. yeah well, no, they, don't they? Didn't he say like he didn't mean for it to go that far? He just they he just wanted to see how much she knew or something. Yeah. And then it was because she attacked him that he went for it. Yeah, mm. I, I think he was always going to have to be down to kill her. I just don't think he. That's how I. Yeah. Question, okay, here's a question. If you're, gonna, if, you're, the, if you're a hitman and you're going to kill a woman, would you at first try and go down on her? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. If she looks like Emily Blunt, yeah. No, if yeah. she looks like Rebel Wilson, probably not, no. I no, but you would, to be blunt. honest, right, he, he, he was going to have sex with her, right, yeah? Right, if he leaves any part of his DNA on her... His DNA is on record. Did easily catch him. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, and let's face it, it's Emily Blunt. You're going to leave a lot of DNA on Emily Blunt. Right? <laughs> it's easy though. Bleach and lime. It's easy. <laughs> Bleach and lime. That's all I need. Spade, beach, lime. Fine. I've got one other. I've got one other complaint, and it's this is a silly complaint, um, but I just thought I'd bring it up for the sake of discussion. I'm playing devil's advocate with it a little bit. Um, I realise that this wasn't that type of film, but if somebody had boiled my child in acid and chopped the head off my wife, I'd have taken a little bit more time with the way I disposed of him. And it felt quite quick. And I realised this wasn't, you know, oh, this, this, this was a certain type of movie, but 
that felt quite quick and disposable, and I, I just don't know that I would have, or anybody would have, especially somebody like that. I, I, I think don't his, know that... his Go big on. thing was the fact that he killed his kids and his wife. Yeah, I mean, like it's it's that, isn't it? It's the by by then the guy knows he's fucked, and also, you know, you've got to think how many more forces does that guy actually have around and maybe he needed to kind of get it done. Yeah. Mm. That's, yeah. that's what I thought was... was I see what you're saying, though. Needs to get this yeah, it's a, it's a small complaint and it's not that type of film, so I get it, but it's just, I felt a little bit, you know... I mean, yeah, he's just killed his two kids and his wife in front of him, but, you know, the the, the place that this guy's from and the lifestyle that he has lived and, the you know, the need for respect and... And, and, and all these other components that would come along with that, I would have thought that there would be more brutal uh, revenge that was needed for chopping off your wife's head and boiling your kid in acid. So, uh, but yeah, it's, I don't know, it's a small complaint and, and it's not really a complaint because it doesn't really work as a complaint, but, but fuck it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great scene of that. The, 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 the fact yeah. that he shoots his kids and his, and his wife, but, you know, that, if I surprise, mm. I was like, "Oh shit!" Uh, yeah, so I think we're about kind of done with Sicario, aren't we? So I'm gonna guess from everybody, this is a firmly, definitely not shit. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Right. We shall uh, move on to some what we've been uh, watching. Uh, so as a surprise, Ian, I'm gonna throw it at you first. Uh, what have you been watching? Um, I've watched quite a lot, actually, but I'm going to kind of um, whiz through because I'm mindful of the time as well. I'm going I'm to have to be done about quarter to ten, by the way. Um, but you guys feel free to, to carry on if um, if we're not done by then. Um, I mean, I'll just crack through some Bond that I watched really quickly. Um, since we last recorded, I've watched three and a half. Um, so Octopussy, um, the best thing about it is its name. Um, it, it's fine. Um, but I don't know. It's about a woman called a doctor pussy. It, it just, it is what it is. Has she got uh, eight pussies? Yeah. No, um, no, I, I think her dad used to call her it or something for some reason. That's it's never actually got eight pussies. Yeah, no, I don't know. Um, it was the eighties. It was fine back yeah. then. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a view to a kill, which I actually think is a bit better than its reputation suggests. Um, Roger Moore and Patrick McNee have quite a fun buddy-buddy thing going on in the first half of it. And uh, Christopher Walken gives good psychopath. So it's, um, you know, it, it's all right. I mean, the, the Bond girl's pretty naff and Roger Moore doesn't look like he's doing any of it, frankly, apart from the speaking. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, um, I, I don't know. I don't think it's that bad. It's actually quite entertaining and, it, it certainly passes the time well enough. It's not as, as as bad as a couple of the other more ones, and it's not as bad as like Diamonds Are Forever or even You Only Live Twice. So it, I think it gets a bit of a bad rap. And uh, The Living Daylights, uh, Timothy Dalton's first one, which I uh, I actually thought was pretty good. Um, very very Cold War inflected. Um, a lot of um, like agents defecting, or are they, or are they, or are they, um, kind of going back and forth, and the, the action's pretty good. And I'm halfway through License to Kill. That film's fucking mad. It's just basically like a really gritty early 90s revenge film, but with the Bond theme every now and then. It's very odd, 
and Benicio del Toro's in it, and he looks young as fuck. Um, it, but I don't know. It's weird. There's bits where Bond's mate's wife is killed, and then his mate is half devoured by sharks, but kept living so that he can live on in the grief. And it's just like, like two films ago, it was Roger Moore powling around with Grace Jones. <laughs> it, it, it just it's a, a bit of disconnect, but I, I, I'm quite enjoying it. Um, but I know. George has seen a couple re- that I well that I wanted to talk, to talk about. Um, Tomorrowland. Yes. Yeah. Um, Fight. <laughs> right. The first forty-five minutes I actually really enjoyed. There's a really really good sequence in like this comic book collect like memorabilia shop, which I uh, I thought was really well done and pretty funny. But after that, George Clooney comes in and. He is Mr. Anti-Charisma. And then the third act is Hugh Laurie giving a lecture about how everyone is shit and how no one deserves to live in his shining world of the future. But the shining world of the future looks boring as fuck. And then it ends. Hmm. (laughs) That's Tomorrowland. Right, okay. My, my, My love of Tomorrowland is that it is so brimming with the, like, joyful hope of what could happen. Like, joyful hope. Sorry. And I just, I, the, the first 45 minutes, it's just trying to say, like, okay, I'm trying to think of a comparison to it. And it's just saying, like, how us as humans can do so much if we aren't whole held back. Like you've got the whole the whole Cape Canaveral thing and the end of the um, sort of the not the space race but going out into the unknown worlds and trying to explore. Now you have that when you go when you go to Tomorrowland and what you have there is that joy being ripped out because of the fear of the unknown in the future. Now. Yes, it does have problems, and it does have problems. I completely agree, but I just could not get over that lovely, like, really doughy, huggable joy that it has. My God, man. My, you think this is doughy, huggable joy? Yes. When? Brimming with hope. When? <laughs> the entire character is completely saying... Con- always throughout the film saying, okay, yes, but you've got to give, like, everybody a chance to express themselves. When does it do that? <laughs> Britt Marling's entire character is that. Britt, Sorry, Britt, Britt Robinson. Robinson's entire character is that. No, and she's... Oh, she, no, no, no. She, she, she tries and get George Clooney back because he's been so beaten up by everything. No, that, she no, no, no. She's not doing it for him. She's doing it because she wants to see what Tomorrowland is. And then she sees what Tomorrowland is, and then by the end of it, it's all right, I'm gonna get my dad Tim McGraw over here and I'm gonna dress him in the most ridiculous fucking fifties <laughs> retro sci fi space costume you've ever seen. And and we're gonna get all these artists and these independent free spirits to come to Tomorrowland. And it's going to be the most annoying fucking place on earth. Right? 
I would take the destruction of the world over spending a weekend in Tomorrowland. <laughs> so you said Tim McGrath? Yes. Oh. Right, no, seriously, he plays her dad, and in it, and George chuckled, so I think he knows what I'm talking about. In it, in the end scene, he is recruited to Tomorrowland, and he is wearing the weirdest fucking costume. Uh, and it just... Get up now. Oh, I've got to, I've got to find it. I've got to find it. It's like this grey, white, fucking uniform. It's like original series Star Trek, basically. Yeah, yes. It's original series Star Trek. And it, it kind of feels like Brad Bird, who is a curmudgeonly bastard on Twitter, if ever there was one, by the way, um, being all... Oh, you know, the, the world's just not as good as it was in the 50s. It's just not as good as it was in the 50s. You know, oh, all the... All the, the homophobia and racism running around all over the place i would take that for a nice slice of cherry pie in a white picket fence <laughs> that's brad bird and it, it like that is this film it's i i don't like the modern world it's horrible and everyone just does horrible stuff so i just want to go back to the past where i can fucking wank about in my old fucking look how great everything is around here because we're all wearing the same clothes and we're all flying around in fucking jetpacks. It, it, no, no, that's a bad Brad Bird. That's a bad, naughty Brad Bird. Hugh Laurie is the hero of this film and he spends the <laughs> third act giving a lecture about how the world's gone to shit and how he's projecting negative thought into the world. And I go, do you know what, Hugh Laurie? I'm on your fucking side. I like your grey dystopia tomorrow land because it looks better than all the people fucking wanking about in their jetpacks and Tim McGraw leading a band of people who are going to make the world a brighter place. Bollocks. But the first half's all right. <laughs> Everything up until George Clooney like coming into it, I'm fine with. As soon as George Clooney comes into it, it's just... No, the thing is, right, this film... For years was put, like mysteriously publicised, like what is Tomorrowland, what's this pin thing, all that kind of stuff. The answers are not very interesting. And do you know what? I bet, George, if you tell me it's not about the answers, about it's about the characters, I'm going to fucking scold. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. I'm not going to defend that. I'm not going to defend like the integrity of his characters. But I kind of like the way everything's built up, and I kind of like how everything works out in the end. I don't know if it's just, I'm, I'm getting soft in my old age, but I kind of, just, it had a warmth to it, but to it that it, I really, really enjoyed. It had a sterile warmth, like a microwave lasagna that's been sat on the, on the side for half an hour. And it's still got a bit of warmth, but it's just because like the plastic's still hot. It's like a, like just a, I, I don't know, like a synthetic artificial warmness. And I, and I don't think it gets it through through the screenplay in particular. I, I it just I mean the, the whole idea of like Britt Robertson's hope being some just her hope alone is is enough to make people think that maybe the world's not coming to an end. I mean that's that's a nice thought, but the end of the film is basically stop the big thing from crashing into the the other thing. You know it's it's the end of a it's the end of a Marvel film. Except with hope, uh, but that, like artificial microwaved hope. <laughs> okay. Go on, Elliot. What else have you been watching? 
Uh, Macbeth, I liked it. Yes, I liked it as well. So did you, didn't you? I did. It um, looks nice. It looks very nice. Um, sometimes a little bit too over the top, maybe. Um, but the it's thing Macbeth. about <laughs> true, and to be honest, it gets the, the atmosphere right. And Macbeth is is a very much an, like a, a play about atmosphere, um, and it, it does trade on it quite a lot. But for me, in, I don't know if if it's me or anybody. When people try to cinemize theatricality, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So. You you add a score and you add all. It's like just let the words do what they want. Like my favorite scene in there was is the when he's basically just become king. He's on the floor and Lady Macbeth and he's sort of like, oh, I feel like my head is full of scorpions. My dear, blah blah blah. And that is just Shakespeare with no score. It's just two actors performing it well, and that's electric. Whereas if you go over the top a little bit too much. Then you you sort of rob it a little bit of its of the well, rob a bit, a bit bit of the material. So although I did really like it, it's 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 not perfect. It's, it's not my favourite Macbeth by any means. Although Fastbender is really good, and the cast are tremendous, and I really think that Sean Harris would make actually a very good Macbeth himself. Yeah, no, I agree. Actually, yeah. it's kind of weird seeing him in the, the in the kind of like the good guy role. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's just not Sean Harris, is it? I mean, I um. I was a little bit disappointed with uh, the right, like the adaptation for Lady Macbeth's character. It's like yeah, she's once, ripped a lot of quite stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like once Macbeth set on his is set on his path, she doesn't really have an awful lot else to do. Like the kind of the malevolence and the the kind of the scheming of her character is not really in this at all. Like I look at something like um, Kurosawa's Throne of Blood, where the, the like you know, which is a which is an adaptation and. The, the kind of the Macbeth, uh, the Lady Macbeth surrogate in that, she's, uh, I, I'm referencing this because I only watched it a few months back, but she's constantly, like, in his ear, and, you know, and you, you kind of, you want that. And whereas, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting that they, they, in this, they kind of basically mark it as, it's almost like she was just the catalyst and Macbeth was wanting to do this all along, Um which, which is kind of an interesting way of going about it, but Marion Cotillard's such a strong performer that you kind of want her to have the bigger moments and it never quite comes out. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. You do get her with moments. Um, the moment where she goes back to the old house um, and it's just sort of her in a, in a one and she delivers some great, some great, well, dialogue. And so that, no, that's great. It's just, yeah, it's just sometimes it gets a little bit too stylistic in my eyes but the f- the final few shots are just so so well done oh, I mean, and yeah, it I speaks mean, the, the volumes like just no words and just cinema speaks it's so well done like, really one of the best sequences that I have actually seen all year yeah no I mean the visuals are a second only to Fury Road for me this year which I didn't think going in to be honest but it, it, it I mean it is it's remarkable um, I've just got I've just got a a few others which I'll just race through and then you guys feel free. Is that all right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I watched The Nightmare, Rodney Ash's film, which I thought was a massive damp squib. Um, I think Noel kind of agreed with me on that. Yeah, I think I did. I wasn't overly impressed with it, but I kind of got some enjoyment out of it. And then when we were talking about it afterwards, I was a bit like, yeah, actually, it was pretty fucking terrible. I, I think my main problem with it, and this is what we kind of talked about a little bit, 
is it is hugely over-directed and it is, it is a, it's a director desperately wanting people to go, oh, look what he's doing with the, with, with the documentary style. This is a new style of documentary. And it's just, it's like, no, he's just trying way too hard to impress me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It kind of almost felt like he cared more about the technique than actually yeah. get into the, the bottom of the actual issues. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, certainly. And you can see why he did it a little bit because, to be fair, you, there's only so many times that you can hear different people go, "Yeah, I fell asleep when I was a kid, and some figures came into my room, and I got scared, and then I've like fallen asleep, and I thought it was real, and then the next day it happened again, and it's just like it's the same thing over and over again. It yeah. really, it's not even even yeah. people's actual experiences are all the same experiences, pretty much. And I mean, I like the way that it's like it's trying to like get some creepy link with the fact that it's all shadow men, and it's like, well, no, the reason why it's shadow men is because it's fucking dark. Yeah. Oh, is this one from the guy who did? Um, Room two three seven. Three seven. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I won't be bothering with that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, disappointing. Um, and um, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is a treat. <laughs> Um, I, I really like Bram Stoker's Dracula. It's great. It's, yeah, it's got it's... cinematic technique coming out of his arse, and it's mental. Um, so, yeah, great fun. And um, The Gift, uh, Joel Edgerton's writer-director debut, which um, is cracking. Uh, it's really, really good. Um, it's a very interesting role for Jason Bateman in there, I will say. I'm not going to say too much. Um, the ending reminded me of a, of a, of a particular well-liked horror film that I didn't think was all that from a few years back. I'm not going to say which one because that might give the game away, but I'd be intrigued when you guys see it. Tell me what film I'm thinking of. Um, I'll watch that tonight later on. So I'm it, yeah, I might watch it either tonight or tomorrow. So. It, it, yeah, it's, 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 it's well worth a go for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm done actually. Um, I'm actually going to go and get a drink. Um, so I don't mean to be rude, but I really fancy a beer. So um, I'll be right back. Talk amongst yourselves if you want. Cool. Uh, uh, no, do you want to fire off uh, some of your, what you've been watching? Yeah, not too much apart from, I mean, I watched The Nightmare, as we said. Um, I f- finally got around to Spy from 2015, the uh, Paul Feig directed comedy. Um, yeah, I, I liked it. I think I was expecting something slightly different, though. Um, I hadn't seen any trailers for it. I had seen posters for it, and the posters were very much um, Melissa McCarthy, Jude Law, uh, Jason Statham. It, it very much felt like a, an ensemble uh, movie from the posters. I hadn't, yeah. Like I say, I hadn't seen any trailers for it. Um, and obviously the positive words that I've heard on it um, coming from 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 yourself and, and Ian and, um, and and Mike as well on on CSVP was all sort of focused on um, on the Jason Statham stuff and and you know what I, I'm I'm a huge 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 Stathamite and and unashamedly so um, so I was kind of really looking forward to that I didn't quite realise just how much of a Melissa McCarthy vehicle this was um, and. Also, I found it to be a little bit too long. Um, it was two, yeah, it was two yeah. hours. T- it was two hours ten minutes, and it broke the golden rule of comedy. It, you know, if this was a if this was a ninety minute movie, first of all, I wouldn't have got bored when I got bored. Second of all, it would have felt like Jason Statham was in it more, <laughs> um, because you just 
it gets to a certain point and you're just following Zany Melissa McCarthy around for a bit and it's like, okay, can we just can we have can we mix it up and do something else? I even thought that the, the person who played I forget her name, Miranda Hart. Yeah, that I even thought Miranda Hart was supposed to be in it a little bit more than this, and I would have been fine with that because it just would have. I don't have a problem with Melissa McCarthy at all. I'm not one of those people who hates Melissa McCarthy. I find she's been pretty entertaining in in, in certain things. She's fine in Bridesmaids. She's she's great in The Heat. Um, I'm not that down on her. I just, I, I don't need two hours, ten minutes of her. That's all it is. And if I could have had that broken up a little bit more with the scenes that Statham was in, was in, in which he was fucking hilarious, then it just, it would have made it a lot more enjoyable for me. So, um, yeah, Melissa McCarthy's solid in it. Rose Byrne's good in it. Jude Law's decent in it. Um, obviously, uh, as, as has been said, um, Jason Statham is absolutely fantastic in it. Um, it's just it was a bit too long and it had a bit too much Melissa McCarthy, so um, not quite as enjoyable as I was, I was anticipating, but but solid nonetheless. If you are looking for a sort of semi-solid comedy, then it's it's worth a it's worth a poke, I reckon. Um, less worth a poke. <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to hate on this too much because I don't think it's a terrible film. Um, I got round to the Poltergeist remake. Um, I'm a huge fan of Poltergeist. It was a very formative film for me. Just it was, you know, it was one of the films that sort of made me terrified and also in love with horror movies and what horror movies could do to you physically. Uh, um, and and for that reason, um, you know, it, it's an important film to me. It's not a film that I was dreading the remake. I don't necessarily dread remakes of things, despite terrible experiences with other formative horror movies that we've, we've all discussed. I don't necessarily dread horror movies, uh, remakes of things that, that I love from the past, because I'm I'm very happy to let things go. I'm very happy to go, you know what? I didn't like that Nightmare on Elm Street movie, so I'm just going to watch the other one. Um, so I think I'll probably end up having the same situation with Poltergeist. But the main point for me is, is it's not a bad movie. I just don't know why they felt the need to make it. it it's, it's, um, I mean, it, it stars some decent people. Fucking Sam Rockwell is in it. Jared Harris is great, is, is, is in it, and he's good in it when he is in it. Um, but it just, it's just not, it just feels so unnecessary. Um, there are sort of key moments in it as well, and they really, really, fuck up in the way that they suck all the atmosphere out of it you know the one key piece of of marketing that they had for this film um was the clown and that is a very important scene and not a very important scene in terms of plot but a very it's a very key scene in the original it's a very dramatic very intense scene and they fucked it up uh the other another one was the um the thunder uh you know that the, in the original where they have the sort of the kid's scared of thunder and they say to him, well, you know, this is how thunder works. And it tells you how far away, uh, the lightning is from the thunder and how close it is to the house and stuff like that. And they teach him to count and that whole mechanic, which offers so much drama in the original, they just don't bother with it. So I don't know. It, it, it felt like a really wasted opportunity. Poltergeist, the original is a very, dramatic very intense but sort of warm and fuzzy kind of nice horror movie and they could have done that again and i would have been fine with it but 
it just it feels like it just it, there was just no need for it really. So it's not a bad film. It's just there's just no need. So uh, a bit disappointing. But that, that like I say, Spy, Poltergeist, and, um, and and the Nightmare was about it for me this week. Cool, George. Uh, uh, what have you what have you been watching? Well, other than Macbeth and Sicario, I went to see The Walk on Saturday. Now, Robert Zemeckis' new film about Philippe Petit and his um, grave, was the word, um, tightrope walk between the two towers back in 1970-something. Did you watch it uh, in 3D by any chance? I, I didn't. It, it, it was of advertising 3D, but they only actually had 2D showings during the day, so I could only see it in 2D, which I was disappointed. We uh, just Basically, just for that sequence, which is about 15 minutes in the movie, it would have been... Really nice to see that. In 3D. It's like we've complained for years that you go to the cinema yeah. and fucking all it's only in 3D, and now this one time that they don't yeah. have it in 2D, like, oh shit, why is it not available in 3D? I, I'll just say, actually, just I'm um, sorry to interrupt. It was kind of interesting, like how poorly it's done so far. That um, it was it was playing in premium large format at the um, the showcase by me last week because it opened in IMAX and large screens only last week, and this week. They, they they just given that screen to the Martian, and it's like so the Martian's been out for two weeks and they're giving it yeah. that screen. The Walk is kind of basically a new release and they've relegated it already. It's 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 kind of fascinating how that thing's not actually caught on. But I mean the the, the film itself. I mean at least the last thirty minutes is supposed to be good, isn't it? So it is not. It definitely is. And to be honest, it wasn't as unbearable as I thought it was going to be. I mean, Zemeckis really isn't one of my favourite directors at all. Um, and it very much is a Mecca's film. Um, it's very schmaltzy, and um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is kind of over the top, but it works. His accent isn't too bad. Um, but it is all about that final scene. And it, the thing is, you, you can't do it. You can't just compare it to another film. But if you really want to see it, watch Man on Wire. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you want to see how, basically, because the way it works out is Joseph Gordon-Levitt is on top of the Statue of Liberty, and he sort of he's, he narrates the whole film. Now, um, what's better than that is actually having Philippe Petit narrate his tell you what he did. Yeah, tell you what he did, how he felt, instead of having an actor do it. Now. It, it is good, and the, the visuals when he's up there are extraordinary, even in 2D. Um, but that is the only thing that I would say really to watch out for 3D because there's nothing else there. And I mean, although I kind of liked in the end because you've got a film about this this event that happened at the Two Towers, but there's always going to be, and they do use it kind of nicely. There's always going to be that melancholy of what actually happened to these two towers and the fact that this will always be a memory and it, it can't be repeated because they aren't there anymore. And they do treat that rather well with a nice little fitting scene. Um, but overall, it, it, it's, a, it's a nothing film. Like The fact that I've seen some five stars, four stars round for it is baffling to me because it just, it just isn't. Um, and the actual story of Philippity and, and the, the sort of like the thrill ride, because Man on Wire does play like a thriller in a way, um, is a lot more entertaining than the actual dramatisation of it. 
um, unfortunately. But yeah, it's worth a watch if you can watch it in three D. I'd say just for that final like fifteen minutes when he's when he's up there and he's doing his thing, um, it'll be worth it. But otherwise, DVD, Netflix film. To be honest, cool. Kind of glad to hear it, just because there's a lot about at the moment. So the fact well, I think it's all about the visuals, it. to be honest. It's yeah. all about like because the person at View when I was there, she was I was like, is it in 3D? And she was like, oh no, it's not. I was like, it's advertised in 3D, and she said actually, she was like, oh, people have been actually complaining about Vertigo. Now yeah. that's what I would have been interested in, like if you'd actually give me that feeling of oh Christ, I need to like, sort of sit back in my seat. Did it but- show in IMAX? Yeah, the IMAX is supposed to be quite quite spectacular. Because hmm. there, yeah, I'd be yeah, I'd be curious to see if I'm not. I don't fancy it enough to pay fucking twenty quid to go yeah. and watch it in the IMAX. But yeah, I can imagine that that would look great in the IMAX. But, yeah, fuck it. But no, and I also rewatched Dragon uh, the Go with the Dragon Tattoo Fincher's film, which is just still tremendous. That's a, that's it for me. Nice. Uh, I've got I've I've only got a, a couple that I've I've watched. Um, I was I say I had an incredibly busy week last week, um, but then I was away for the weekend um, where I had no literally no internet signal, so I couldn't use Netflix or anything like that, um, and you know, purposefully quite easily could have taken a Blu-ray player, but purposefully didn't um, because I like to either watch while I'm away, leave it up to the gods to uh, show what's on TV. So the only things I watched were things that were on TV, and you don't have satellite. It's very basic free view in the cabin we stayed in. Um, so I watched, first one was uh, We Bought a Zoo, uh, which is my third watch of that movie. Uh, I, sw- I got, sorry. Um, no, I swear to God, me and Donna <laughs> watched that round your flat. I'll have to check with Claire. Maybe you did, you know, I just don't remember. The thing is, if we did watch it, we probably would have been bladdered, so I probably wouldn't remember it anyway. Donna doesn't remember it at all. And I know I've seen We Bought a Zoo, and I swear, I fucking swear, maybe I watched we, it right Maybe we flat. did. Maybe we did then. Maybe we did. I'll, I'll check with Claire. She'll remember. I won't. <laughs> I don't. I don't remember. Sorry. It was just a WhatsApp conversation we yeah. were having the other day, and I just, it's weirding me out that no one else remembers this. It's a strange one we want to do because I'm, and I know um, John as well. Um, I'm a sucker for for Cameron Crowe movies, uh, yeah. and so I, I was watching this whilst um, about kind of like it was like midday or something like that, um, whilst pretty fucking hungover from having a pretty shitty Friday night. Uh, <laughs> And so it's it, it's it's schmaltziness kind of spoke to me uh, quite a lot at that point, uh, and it's kind of it's floatiness and the fact that there's a ridiculously cute kid in it, the fact that there's Matt Damon fumbling his way through stuff, the fact that Patrick Fugit's in it, and I go, he should do more every time I see him in anything. Uh, yeah. Scarlett Johansson is is never bad to to look at for uh, for like nearly two hours. Uh, Long, so I, I, I still maintain we bought a zoo. I can see all of the reasons why people would hate it, and every single one of them is completely valid. But I still really quite enjoy it every time I watch it. Uh, it's it's windowsill. It's windowsill microwave lasagna warm. It is absolutely. But but do you know what? That's that's what I needed after taking 
myself and Bex took uh, a bottle of gin, uh, a, a big like litre bottle of gin, and uh, three big crates uh, of, of cars with us to uh, the cabin. And I drank a crate and a half of cars and half the bottle of gin on the first night. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. But, but for me, Cameron Crowe at the moment, because it's not the Cameron Crowe of what he was, but no. it's it's like drinking a Starbucks caramel macchiato with extra caramel. It's sickly as hell, and it makes you feel bad, but you can't help at the end of it to think, oh, I really want another caramel macchiato <laughs> with extra caramel. Yeah. See, no, this this is the problem. This is the difference between me and jo- you, Jordan. I like my beer to taste like beer, my cho- my coffee to taste like coffee and my Cameron Crowe movies to taste like a different director. <laughs> nice. Um, the, the next one uh, I watched um, is the 1992 family comedy, Beethoven. Um, <laughs> big dog, yes. Has anyone else ever seen this? I've seen it many times when I was younger. I used to watch it all the time. I saw yeah. this the Does this mean that you had access to ITV4 or something it does. like that? <laughs> Yes! Because <laughs> <laughs> that shit doesn't go on normal channels. Right? <laughs> the, I don't... I didn't... I remember the... There's Three Ninjas on after it. Uh, I saw Three Ninjas at the cinema as well, actually. Um, I didn't realise the plot, or I remember that the plot for Beethoven was quite so bleak. Is the fact that they, they adopt this dog that um, is kidnapped from a pet store and then escapes the kidnappers, which are played by Stanley Tucci and Oliver Platt. Um, this dog just literally wanders in the house and they end up keeping it. And then the big paper is um, the dog is taken to the vets uh, and the vet says that he's basically um, colludes to have the dog put down by pretending that he's been attacked. And this is the reason why. It's because the vet is being paid by a uh, a munitions company to test out one of their new exploding bullets by shooting a St. Bernard in the face. Wow. (laughs) Which is pretty fucking insane for a family comedy. I mean, it's it's written by John Hughes. It's written by John Hughes, yeah. Yeah. It's not as John Hughes, it's as um, Edmund, Edmund Dante yeah, is, but, yeah. but yes, it, it is a John Hughes movie. Charles Grodin is, is, is very just Charles Grodin in it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I basically, um, having just spent like 45 minutes, an hour in a hot tub, and then already starting on my drinking again for that day, I, I enjoyed my rewatch of Beethoven. <laughs> Nice. Uh, I then also uh, watched on um, on the evening um, of that very night um, the 2005 remake of House of Wax. Wow. <laughs> Star- starring Alicia Cuthbert, Chad Michael Murray, Brian Van Holt, Paris Hilton, and uh, Jared Pilecki. Pilecki. Supernatural. The guy yeah. from Supernatural. Jared Supernatural. Uh, like it, yeah. Literally is is like a, uh, a who's who of give a fuck in 2005. Uh, a veritable who gives a fuck of 2005. <laughs> yeah. um, and again, uh, by this point, I was pretty pissed. Um, so actually kind of, kind of enjoyed my rewatch uh, of House of Wax, uh, which is fucking terrible, but as a stunning scene of an entire house of wax uh, melting towards the end, which I was going, 
this, this looks far too good for, for for how terrible this movie is. Um, and one of the one of the best things you can say about a movie is Paris Hilton wasn't nearly as shit as she could have been in that. Then you know that, that's I've seen, the, better, I've seen better films with her in. One bit of credit, <laughs> yes. We've all. To be honest, she's pretty crappy in that. To be honest, yeah, her acting's <laughs> probably worse in that. Yeah, yeah it, it, she's more insufferable in that. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that was what I watched, and then I watched the first half of um, Casino Royale before eventually going. Ah, oh, this looks so shitty in standard definition, and I'm sick of adverts. And I had this on Blu-ray at home twice, and there is a hot tub like five feet away from me. I'm making the mistake of watching this right now. Um, so yeah, so watching what? Sorry, what was that? Casino Royale. Yeah, I was just going to say you kind of missed an opportunity. You should have brought the Blu-ray player. You could have watched Hot Tub Time Machine. In a uh, well, actually, I did actually watch Hot ah. Tub Time Machine and Hot Tub Time Machine 2 in the <laughs> hot tub. <laughs> Jesus. Was the hot tub still hot by the end of that? I think it was even hotter. From you, must have just, you must have just been a, an absolute wrinkle by that point. I watched, well, I watched Hot Tub Time Machine, got out, then I had uh, went out for a, something to a eat. A bearded wrinkle. Uh, <laughs> Must have looked like my dick. <laughs> and then came back and watched Hot Tub Time which is the second time I've watched it. And you know what? I still really quite enjoy it. Spot on. Uh, yeah, so, yes, that was what I've been watching. Uh, we do have one question, Jax, I think, uh, which I'm going to get now. Uh, Sorry, Mark, I didn't mean to compare you to my penis. Well, I, I was actually quite flattered, to be honest. <laughs> what, does, what does Becky do when you're watching all this stuff? She was watching them with me. Well, not Beethoven. She went on a shower while I was watching Beethoven. She took like an hour and a half shower. It was a good shower. <laughs> <laughs> on end. a day where you'd spent all day in the, to- in the hot tub as well. She yeah. must have been clean by the end of that day. <laughs> oh, man, since, since Becky's gone blonde, her fucking uh, her hair washing routine has gone insane. Becky's gone blonde? <laughs> Uh, she's gone that's blonde. That's disappointing. Um, this, uh, that's actually... It really, <laughs> Sorry. Um, fair enough. It's... Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's, there's like different timers and four different shampoos and all of these things. Um, uh, it's insane. Uh, I've actually got a couple of questions. Uh, Rich Kid, uh, at Rich J Kid. Um, after going to Sicario Blind and loving it, when have you gone into a film knowing nothing about it and loved it? We must have seen some shit at Fright Fest that we didn't know anything about and came out really liking. We must must have, surely. Um, my, my last one, to be honest, was probably um, Edinburgh... Did I go last year? It must have been last year. Not June gone, the previous June. And it was Coherence. Didn't know anything about Coherence. Oh, I went to see Coherence. That was really good. To be honest with you, it's most of the time I, I intentionally go into films with as little knowledge as possible. I'm trying to think what I've seen recently. It's just, um, like, literally nothing. Yeah, I mean, the last one uh, I watched was a, a film that was recommended to be called, uh, which I spoke about on the podcast, called Q&A. This is a Lumia film starring uh, Tim Matheson and Nick Nolte. Uh, and I knew nothing about it other than the fact that it was an 80s cop movie with Nick Nolte in it, which basically is just an 80s Nick Nolte movie. Um, but I knew nothing about what what sort of happened in it or what it was about or anything like that, uh, and fucking loved it. Yeah. Oh, um, Hyena, uh, which oh. was a rec- recommendation from Mark, uh, from Ian 
that I knew nothing about. Really loved that. Um, what else? Yeah, well, Hyena's, Hyena's a good one and a film that I would absolutely recommend to anyone anyway. Yeah, uh, and we've also got a question from uh, Ethan M. Barr, uh, at Ethan Barr 2 on Twitter. Uh, I've just watched Tremors and Cabin in the Woods, so what are your favourite movie monsters? Oof. I, I'd say not quite the monster, but people's reactions to it would be the thing. Just because whenever anybody sees it, you know, it's... I, I, I don't know, you got to be fucking kidding me, or... Yeah, fuck you. Or what was it he says? Yeah, fuck you too at the end. Um, Kurt Russell when he like. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I think it's fuck you too. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, I don't know. Just like when the guy's tied up in the chair and uh, they're doing the blood test and the the blood starts sprinkling up and then the guy in the, who's tied up in the chair just starts like rocking the chair and fucking getting me out of it. I like just people's reactions to the thing are my favourite monster. I, I, I like Bullfly. <laughs> Rundlefly's pretty solid. Rundlefly's a good one. This is probably a, an obvious and probably quite boring answer for me, but Kruger is Freddy Krueger is always the king for me. I just think, you know, it's 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 an easy one to go to, but when you go back and think about it, the the visual of that character, the the idea of what he does and and what that allows you to do in a series of films <laughs> is absolute genius, and you know. Think of, of who is playing him as well. I remember at the time when, when A Nightmare, and I'm not going to go off on, on one of my little memories, but I remember at the time when, when A Nightmare on Elm Street came out, um, Robert Englund was only f- famous really for being um, in V. And the character that he plays in that, he's very weedy and kind of nerdy and stuff like that. So the idea that he was playing this this character that had really taken over the you know the, the the public consciousness at the time seemed quite strange but when you watch that film he's only a small guy he's got a, quite a small frame he's not Jason Voorhees he's not Michael Myers he's a kind of a skinny small guy and he's he's you know he, he's he's a child killer he's not somebody who should be particularly fearful what Robert Englund does with that character is absolutely unbelievable and you know, you cannot fault what that character has done and, and has become out of the back of it. It's, it, yeah, like I say, it's probably a boring answer for me, but I just, you you, you, you can't top Kruger at yeah, all. Just I'm, can't I'm, I'm still, yeah, Kruger's a great one. Um, also, I throw in Candyman there. It's one of my favourite. description, yeah. Um. So, so I've, got, I've got another sort of easy way out, but... It would be a sort of um, caveat. So, Alien. Can it be classed as a monster? I don't know. Yeah, of course. But, but my caveat would be, if you you want to go modern as well, is the Cloverfield monster. I I love that that design and the fact that I still believe that it's not really a monster. It's just a scared child running around. Mm. I I really need to rewatch Cloverfield because I remember actually really liking it but i cannot remember anything that happened apart from a really irritating party at the beginning that's all i can remember and that might not have even happened do you want to, do you want a steel book of it mark <laughs> you, no you can just have it seriously i, I might take up on that actually yeah because I, I would actually quite like to rewatch it i, I really do love club it really is one of my favorite films of 
um, like the last like sort of like decade. I really do love it to pieces. Cool, uh, Ian. Uh, any favourite movie monsters? Yeah, people's reactions to the film. Oh, you said people's reactions. <laughs> I was listening, I promise. Uh, I knew you were going to say that. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, That was episode 130. Uh, thank you very much, John. Thank you, uh, Noel, for joining us. Uh, Ian, uh, what do we have next week? Uh, well, I think um, Noel's joining us. Jordan's going back yes. into his cave to uh, hibernate for a couple of years, but we'll see him in 2017. <laughs> and... Um, and uh, yeah, we're going to do our Guillermo del Toro fucks our faces and we loved it special edition um, as we uh, do retrospective reviews of Kronos, The Devil's Backbone and Pan's Labyrinth and uh, Climax, as I'm sure del Toro would love, with a look at Crimson Peak. We are very excited. Oh, yeah. yes, we, we, we are. Um, so like I said that was one episode 130. Before we, before, sorry, sorry, before we go. Yeah. There's just one more thing is like I was really looking forward on this particular episode to something and it's not happened. Um, I really wanted to hear Jordan say Sicario. Sicario. <laughs> Sicario. There we go. <laughs> and George, George, just for the just for the the third point of the media heroes. Yeah. Oh, that. <laughs> I'll never hear the name of that movie Restrepo without hearing. Restrepo. I can't even read the word. <laughs> <laughs> it's playing out in my head. Beautiful. It's interesting, like for people who haven't listened to Heroes, the, like the amount of shit that's probably flown over their heads is uh, is uh, I, I don't know. I hope people who did listen uh, who did listen to that have enjoyed it though. It's been fun. It's been, yeah. it's been a, uh, and um, we shall speak to you next week. You, you're just drowning out George there. I think George. Right. But... No, no, it has been fun. Actually, I have really been on a podcast for quite a while, and although I've actually enjoyed the little break, it's been nice to come up and have a, have a chat. Cool. Well, you are welcome anytime, John, at all. We'll see you in 2017. We'll see you in 2017. <laughs> for Sicario 2. <laughs> yeah. Thank you much, guys, for listening. Cheers. Bye. Laters. Oh, I even threw in a laters at the yes. end. Nice. <laughs> <laughs>